Welcome to the Esoteric America podcast, where we tour the strange, mystical, and esoteric threads woven into the fabric of North America. Join Mark, Tara, Roman, Chad, and a new local researcher each episode as we dive into our country's diverse regions, states, counties, cities, towns, neighborhoods, and parks. No stone is left unturned as we unravel the occult knots that tie history, culture, religion, all in with the fringe elements that you may not have realized we're at play in your own backyard. Today, we explore Audet, Minnesota. This is where America's peace of mind begins. Around the clock, radars, electronic eyes watch the skies and report what they see to SAGE defense system of the United States Air Force. Here is the SAGE Center on 24-hour alert. At its heart is a computer developed by a research team from MIT and IBM working with the Air Force. The SAGE computer speeds the information for decisions by man in our missile age. Every scheduled flight across American frontiers is recorded ahead of time on IBM punch cards, then fed into the SAGE computer. Now the computer can draw a picture of what is supposed to be in the sky at any moment. It continually compares this expected picture with the real picture as seen by radar. If a flying object does not belong, it appears on this viewing screen. There's one now at the right of the screen. They call it a blip, unknown flying object. Friend or foe, within seconds the Air Force will know. The officer fires a light gun at the target blip. This tells the computer to track the object. At the launching site, a long-range Beaumont missile is ready for firing. Now they ask the computer to calculate an intercept point. X maps the spot where the Beaumont missile would meet the moving target if fired immediately. The officer in charge makes the final decision. associated with the North American Air Defense Command. I want to tell you something about this complex new defense system we call SAGE.
So, ladies and gentlemen, here we are on Esoteric America. I am Mystic Mark, joined by the homie Romy, as always. Hey -o. And, of course, Chad Stemke. How are you, Chad? Doing great. Thanks, Mark. And I've got my lovely girlfriend, Tara, next to me. Hi. And on today's show, we will be diving in to a new location as usual with our Woo! very special new guest, Andrea. Welcome to the show, Andrea. And please tell us where you're from. Tell us what we're, where we're going to be talking about today and, and if you've been living there your whole life or if you're just a newcomer. Yeah, so I was born in Badet, and but I didn't live there my whole life, like kind of, sort of, like halfway. I live in the general area now. I moved kind of around Minnesota, you know, throughout school and stuff, and then moved back up after a while. So I've been a few different places. I've been... Bemidji area, which is a couple hours south of here. And then after that, we kind of lived in the Rochester area, which has like the Mayo Clinic and stuff. So I know some Minnesota stuff. <laughs> right on. Yeah. And I was doing a little bit of Minnesota research prior to this and found out some interesting history about the the mines there and i'm sure we'll get into plenty of other really interesting stuff it's sharing a border with the mississippi river as well which is the largest river in the united states so yeah let's uh, let's get into it where is baudet and and maybe we should start properly with like how did you find out about you know either chad roman or i and and uh, you know when did you start to get into the maybe the mystical more esoteric side of where you live um, let's see. Well, I'll start with the second half of your question first. And I just kind of always been into stuff like that. I guess I had somewhat of a UFO experience when I was very young. So I've been researching stuff for like 20 years. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that UFO experience? How old were you? I was probably 12, maybe 11. Yeah. So let's see. This is when I lived down by Rochester. They have a lot of like limestone and stuff down there. And we were just out for a walk one night. It was around actually the 4th of July. So it was kind of around this time of year. And my friend and my sister got a little bit ahead of me and I'm just dilly dallying behind them, whatever. And I look up in the sky. I say, Oh, there's a, there's a car in the sky. And then I was like, Oh, wait, Cars don't fly. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched that for a little bit. I had some, some missing time, some, some strange dreams coming with that. And it's ever since that I kind of was like, well, what the hell is that about? So I've been looking into different ways of trying to explain that since that happened <laughs> no doubt yeah so naturally you probably came across one of our podcasts or one of chad's many appearances on different podcasts and somehow linked up with us i think roman invited you to the show correct so yeah so i started watching like well it started with howdy Mikowski videos and then from there i got introduced to the michael Wan and emily moyer and stuff like that and then i 
you know, they all went on Chance Darton show Interverse, which you're aware of. And I just kind of joined the chat and started ripping away at stuff. And this is where we are. Right on. I have, I have a question, if you don't mind, because sure. the Otas themselves, oh, the Otas, the O-T-Us. Very interesting place in the country. They seem to have like their own type of, they're like subculture going on over there. And, you know, growing up on the West Coast, you know, we got our own subculture over here. But the, the, the Otas, I love, I love like the accent. It's kind of like a hybrid of Canadian and like Midwest. It's super cool. But anyways, I, I, the thing I was kind of finding about the Minnesota's area and the Baudette, which basically borders Canada, if I'm not mistaken, is the massive amount of water table that's there. And then I was like, there has to be so much paranormal experiences going on here. And, and lo and behold, there's like massive amounts of, of those. And, and so that's cool to hear that you, you, you were one of the many Odians Minnesotians that have shared that experiences. Is there a lot of paranormal stuff going on over there? There's quite a bit. I don't really talk to a lot of people who are open about it, but <laughs> yeah, so there's quite a bit that's just happened to me even since that one experience. So yeah, <laughs> that was probably nice. the biggest one. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, man, the water, the water will do it. Tara, go ahead. Did you see anything? So you saw the the, the UFO, UFO mm-hmm. and yeah. did you did you? What was that experience like in your body when you saw it? It was kind of just like I just like stood there like in like watching it. So it was just kind of like I don't know how to describe it. Like st- like I was in my body, obviously. But I was just like, didn't know what the hell was going on. So it was almost like time standing still almost like it's just me and this UFO and then like nothing else. Like is kind of how it felt like. Yeah. And, and you said you had missing time. Yeah. So and after I initially saw it, the two lights that I thought were headlights came together and they made a red light and then that flashed and went away and then I was like oh well I better get home or whatever that was pretty weird I thought it was only like five minutes and I got home and they're like where were you like it was like a half an hour later so it was really weird (laughs) and and this was was this you said in Rochester. So how close, for people who aren't from Minnesota, how close is Rochester to where you're at now and where we're going to be talking about, which is Baudette? So that's, I'm at the top, very top of the state. Not the very tip top, but, you know, close. And that's at the very bottom of the state. It's about two hours from the Iowa border. Okay. So um, like cornfield type area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've driven through Iowa, never been that far up north, but, you know, anytime you're out in a rural area, these strange things happen, and the the weird dynamic socially is that most people don't want to admit those types of experiences in those types of communities for whatever reason. I think 
if the UFOs decided to concentrate all their efforts over Brooklyn, we'd have the whole alien case, you know, figured out in a short time because <laughs> people right. there are just weird, you know, and they're not afraid to, to, you know, own it. But anyways, yeah, I think Baudette is fascinating and, you know, for, for you and, and for everyone listening, this show is, is new and the intention is to create a map of all of these different places. So we don't want to squeeze Baudette and wring it dry and, and try to force weirdness out of it that isn't there. We want to hear your story and, and see what you found on, on your research. Already, you know, the name Rochester is kind of standing out because during Chad and I's conversation, that was a significant place for him too. And I, I think we're going to find a theme there. A lot of these towns that are named the same thing, there's a reason. Maybe there's even a connection point. Chad, you've been a little quiet. What are your thoughts so far? I find it super interesting, Andrea. Say, well, Rochester, for one, is I grew up and graduated from Rochester, Michigan. And I got on the same journey with starting with a UFO experience also. And I find it kind of ironic. I know quite a few people who started their journey looking into the cities with ironically UFO experiences to stardom. I don't know how to explain that, but I've talked to a good five or six people, you know, that had a UFO experience. And over the years, their end result was they're looking into the art and architecture in cities. So I find that pretty synchronistic and cool. Look forward to what you got to have to say next. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Right on. Well, let's not hesitate. Why don't we get right into it? Unless there's any other information we should know about you. Cheese. Not that I can think of. Cheese. There's is there cheese over there? That's what hey, I'm on the west oh. coast, man. Everywhere is the east coast. So when yeah. I hear the odas, I think I think a think a think of cheese. What, what's happening with the cheese over there? That's more like Wisconsin thing. Oh yeah. my bad. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna learn. I'll learn something. Close, close. But you guys all are. Right. You guys are. You're all in that glacial flood, right? Like this area in Wisconsin, Minnesota, was all very flattened by the movements of the glaciers, right? So it is yeah. a kind of unique geography over there. You don't have a lot of mountains or hills the same way we do. Maybe save no. for a few, you know, rare ones. No, not really. It's really flat here where I'm at. And then down where I had that experience, there's the, it's bluff country. So it's a lot more hilly and limestone and stuff like that. A lot that. of cattle, right? Yeah. Well, that might they be. don't have no, quite no. as much cattle as you would think. Huh. There's a lot of Amish that live in that area as well. So, mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, let's get into it. If you'd like, I'll give you permission to screen share. I know you said you have a, a, oh, hold on. I just actually made it. Now let me go ahead and, all right. So you should be able to now, but you all have right. a Canva presentation for us. And folks listening, if you live somewhere interesting, if you want to dive into this research, it's pretty simple. Put together a Canva presentation and hit us up. We'd love to have you on the show. But Andrea, please, let's get started. Oh, yeah. Okay, let me get to where it's, this is my opening slide here. I called it, I call this presentation where the walls have eyes, because they call, Bidet is like, I don't know, they're like fighting with like two other towns throughout the country or something about where the walleye capital of the world is. Ah. 
Yeah. Walleye the fish, right? Yep. And I find it just a little bit odd that it's the walleye capital of the world because people that come and move here from out of town, everybody's like up in your business because it's really small. But it seems more so in Badet than the other towns around it. So I just find that kind of strange. So we got the we got the railroad comes through here. That's the Canadian National Railroad. It's the only line that comes from Canada into the United States. And then this is the International Bridge. So right in Badet, you can get to Canada right across the river. Back in 1910, there was a huge fire that devastated the whole town. So there's kind of that mud flood kind of thing going on with that. Mm, yeah, you mentioned, little, you mentioned Howdy Mikowski earlier. So I had a feeling we might find some of that stuff here. And yeah, yeah. wow, you can so you could just walk right into Canada from Baudette. Well, I don't know if the Border <laughs> Patrol would be too happy about that. <laughs> This is the border patrol. I'm curious because yeah. I've I've been to Canada, Montreal side and and here over Vancouver side. But I was imagined that the middle part was just like there just wasn't any border patrol. So I'm curious what what's it like over there, border patrol? Um, they're not too bad. I had uh, on one Halloween night. Oh uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> I was dressed like a naughty nurse, and then I had to. Like, one of my cousins with me and she had a big ganja plant on her shirt. And then some, one of our other friends had a bunch of fake blood down his shirt. And he decided that we're going to just go into this border patrol station and tell them that we need to turn around because we were lost. And we had been drinking obviously and partaking in things. And it was really the weird part about it was there was three people that the same thing was happening to on the other side of the border and they all had like the same personalities but they were like they were all guys so are you saying you met your canadian doppelgangers on the other side of the border you just saw them like through a clear like a window like your window shopping or something you (laughs) go and put your hand on the window and they they come and 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 match your hand and oh my goodness what is this we're just like looking at each other from across the room like this is weird portals <laughs> chad portals oh buddy say they described this thing. area the natives as a magic lake of the mirrors that's how they described wow. it the mirrors and the lake of the mirrors and 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 it is in the county named land of lakes right is that do i have lake that? of the woods yeah. lake of the woods okay yeah. I'm, I, yeah lake of the woods see i i got land of lakes and mixed up because of the butter probably the margarine right <laughs> whoa, whoa whoa hey first of all don't be confusing margarine with butter all right. Big diff there, bud. Right, right. I'm actually Sorry. a little bit I'm a little bit hurt from that. You mean margarine's not butter? Oh could you nice. believe it? I can't believe it. <laughs> oh, all right. So that we're is at- such a psyop. If I've ever heard one in my life, okay, I'm sorry. Let's let's not. Well, you might need some margarine, or better yet, some butter if you're gonna cook up some walleye, aka yellow pike. Is there anything interesting about the fish itself, other than you know, Baudet 
becoming the the walleye capital is there anything weird about the fish that you got into or because it seems like not, a pretty normal fish it's also known yeah, as a yellow I pike looked into it a little bit it's not there's nothing like crazy it's about no it. like madagascar dream fish or anything like that no okay. but i do have some stuff about fish later but it's not that fish but okay cool okay. well let, let's mosey mm -hmm. on then all right so that's just the title slide so the etymology, I broke it down. It's a French word, so bod, and then et, which would be like just a, I linked this over to something, but it basically just says it's a small version of something else. We have a couple different translations of bod here. We have a unit of trans transmission speed equal to the number of times a signal changes state per second. For one baud is equivalent to one bit per second, a little bit of body text. I don't really get what they're saying at the last part. That might be an but, example of yeah, how to use so, it in a sentence. Um, when you pull up the Wikipedia here, and that's what this is, and you kind of go through it, I kind of, I tend to speed read Wikipedia art articles and just look for the things that stand out to me it seems like a lot like bit mapping for like video games type of a thing huh. Huh. so this this name baudette could be interpreted as a little little because a bit is a small unit of measurement and et is a smaller version of something so this is like a small small uh, squared small squared and it's also yeah. named after this te telegraphy guy Right. Interesting. Which is also Baudet, but just a little bit spelt different. It was actually named, the name Baudet for the town came from just some random trapper guy, and I couldn't find any information on that guy, so mm. I don't know. He was like uh, a, a voyager. I like that other part that, because I was trying to look up some etymology to it too, and I, I found the, the bits and the the technological term, you know, and I was like, ah, but that can't be the where the name comes from. But it's interesting when you look into computer terminology, it's, it's very strange. I mean, especially now they have like the the AI, AI art and people like are typing in words you know and you have like this algorithm for all this ai art it just goes into this whole strange world of of computing and like picking well, the terms and you also mentioned that there's this train track that comes from canada into baudet and if you think of each cab on a train car like one bit you know it's like bit by bit this stuff comes from canada into the u.s or from the u.s to canada through this place yeah i, I think the etymology and it's not always going to be like as crazy as like oh this word means vampire and then we found out that the first american <laughs> vampire was there it's not always going to yield that much results but it's always interesting to see how these things create a sort of pattern that then creates a, like a, a, you know adds to the signature of the town in a way the energy signature yeah and you'll see like i'll get into some other stuff later on where you, like, that kind of that part of the translation kind of ties in we also it's also known as a uh, woman in charge of a brothel oh here we go 
shameless. So that uh, kind of uh, town. <laughs> and Minnesota yeah. was was definitely just a, just a, a little bit. Go ahead, Roman. <laughs> no, I was just I was mentioning just a little bit. You know, a little little bit of the brothel, shameless. Just little bits. Mm. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say that like Minnesota, Wisconsin, that area, there were a lot of mines back in the day there. So it was populated by some rough settlers. And, you know, Canada has a reputation for having cheap prostitutes and strippers. I wouldn't. Roman's been there. I haven't. So he would probably (laughs) know better than I. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of see, especially in Mexico, but along borders, you know, you have this like sort of black market that pops up. So, yeah, interesting. Brothel, I wonder, is there a sort of criminal element in Baudette? Is it safe? Is it seedy? We have the highest DUI rates in the state. (laughs) Okay. Do you guys like to party? It is kind of like, I don't know, it's kind of like living in the Wild West, I feel like, because, like, you can get away with stuff because you're everything is far apart from each mm, other right takes a lot of time for people to respond so to speak yeah <laughs> Argo I always, vibes. yeah i always think like if i was gonna send people for like witness protection i would probably send them to this area about that yeah. yeah little little okay well cool yeah. the etymology so far is definitely intriguing yeah then we got, oh, so it's on the 48th parallel, which is 11 degrees north of the Mason-Dixon. But then there's a highway that pretty much runs along that entire, it goes right through the town and it runs all the way through to International Falls, which also has like the two sides with the Canadian town on one side with the bridge and everything. And then it goes all the way over to Drayton, North Dakota, which is another kind of an interesting area. There's a little bit I have to say on that in regards to one of the explorers that kind of established some things in the area. I just thought that was kind of interesting with the 1111. And then I was looking at the map with that muskrat mound and that is in between the Highway 11 in Canada. I think that's the Ontario side. And then Highway 11 in Minnesota. So it's wedged in between those two highways, which I found pretty interesting. So there's a there's a, a place known as the Muskrat Mound. Did yeah, I get that so right? The one mound, and I looked to try and go to it like sometime last year in the summer because I was looking for you know interesting things around here to do and they closed it I want to say like 1998 or something to the public because they thought that it would offend the native people around here which I thought was just super weird because at like the headwaters there's mounds there too but they don't close those off to the public and like there's burial grounds in a forest around here that also are not closed to the public. So I just find it super odd Hmm. that that one is closed. (laughs) And is it a part of the national park? No. So Voyagers, which I think is the national, the one national park that we have in the state that is about 
two and a half hours from Bodette. And so from the mound, because mm-hmm. the mound is about 45 minutes from Bodette. So an hour and 45 minutes away would be the national park. Okay. And is this mound the same mound that's on the confluence of the Big Fork uh, River and the Rainy River? Am I, or am I finding yeah, a different that, mound? That's, that's the same the, mound? That's the one. Okay. That's kind of the only one that we seem to have around here. Well, and what's interesting is the name of the river, the Rainy River, the town across the border from Baudette is Rainy River, Canada. So there yes. is a sort of toponomical connection to this mound. And then also, you know, we see the big fork it's at a fork in the river these sorts of confluences where water to you know waterways meet are always very important so yeah wow the muskrat mound that's an interesting have you ever heard of that one chat not until i started looking into this and i've looked into a lot of mounds and this one's super interesting they also call it the grand mound mm. and it's the biggest mound in minnesota and it's also the only effigy mound, which are mounds shaped like animals, shaped like a muskrat that I've seen. And it's also a three-dimensional mound. Most of the effigy mounds just take on the shape of the animal, but this one is actually three-dimensional. So it's a mound with the three-dimensional tail. And strangely enough, it's built on a floodplain. Normally mounds are on top of hills, but they built this on a floodplain. And I think what they were doing is building it just like the muskrat. So when it floods, the water surrounds it. And (laughs) symbolically, this is the same as the earth diver legend, you know, where Wanabazo after the great flood dives down to grab some mud to rebuild the earth. He doesn't make it, but long story short, the muskrat dives down to the bottom of the lake and grabs some mud comes up places it on turtles back creates turtle island so this muskrat mound is you know it's a true mound of origin so to speak yeah so it's super, right. is there super any- interesting i've never seen one like it you know wow that's fascinating and, and, and i wonder what the accordance is with the menorah mounds because i know menorah mounds is decently decently close to that area i think it's more closer to ohio but just thinking about three-dimensional mounds and you know obviously the mound building culture right people that built these mounds you know emanating some sort of kind of like story that emanates their gods you know similar to like ancient Greece, like putting their deity from the sky and the stars but maybe that's what, what some of this could mean like super interesting i haven't even looked at any pictures anybody got any pictures of this can we can we do that is that a, is that a thing with that sub sub subdivide us too much to look at a, a sweet pick of this three-dimensional muskrat mound yeah some pictures of the maps i don't have any pictures of the actual mound down here yeah nobody's been able to besides there's like caretakers there i think but you can't even get into it hmm. okay so no wow. no photos well, in your in your presentation of it no, I didn't get well, to any. Well, why don't we why don't we keep Save going through can. the presentation, and if Chad or I find it in you know yes, the yes, meantime, yes. we'll share it towards the end. But yeah, definitely okay. interesting, you know, because I I asked about the mound, and we don't want to get too far off track, but we will definitely come back to that. Um, yeah, totally. But One I see thing that at, did make me think of was the rat in Chinese mythology. 
Mm. When, when I started looking into it a little bit more, so I was like, well, that's kind of strange. I wonder, because some other yeah. rat dogs look like animals too, so I kind of wonder if they're all Well, it said that the, the rat animal. was the first of the Chinese zodiac animals to make it across the river. The emperor challenged all the animals of the zodiac to a race, and the winner of the race was the, the rat because it was this most cunning it it took a ride on you know one of the larger animals head and then jumped on another animal's back and then made it to the palace but anyways big tangent we're on slide three of 31 so let's move along all right so just a little bit about lake of the woods it's the sixth largest freshwater lake in the usa and it's the 36th largest lake in the world um, I believe that's freshwater, of course. It's, uh, I wanted to read off the shoreline and stuff. So it's, it's got 14,552 islands. It's 70 miles long and wide, so it's pretty square. Most of the islands are on the Canadian side. And then it's 65,000 miles of shoreline. So I just wanted to go into that part. That is fascinating. 14,000 islands in one small area. Like that must've been some fun grounds too. Well, and it, it is weird Maybe. that it is weird that the, like, if you look on the map, the border of the United States juts up to the other side of the lake where the Northwest angle state forest is. And there's an Island that the United States happens to have in its territory called Oak Island. And we all have heard of the other more famous Oak Island, but yeah, that's interesting. I got a little, thrown, a little thrown off there. I was like, wait, did I just stumble on something? I was like, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, it is weird that they have like that weird, like Northwest angle cut out. You know, you'd think they just give that to Canada and cut the lake in half, but no, they have that whole section up there. Yeah. And that was cause of a mapping error. And then there's also another spot called the Lost 40 that's southwest of here a ways, maybe an hour or so. And that was also a mapping error. So, like, they just didn't know this 40 acres of forest was there, allegedly. Huh. 40 <laughs> acres, 40. That's an interesting... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, I, I personally am pretty skeptical on the on the mapping of the country. Like, you know, the mainstream story, at least, because I, I think shape and design plays a very, very large, you know, importance. Granted, there's been, you know, measurable things receded and taken away and added to the shape. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like there there is some there's obvious significance to the energy system as well. So. I don't know. It's super cool. I, 14,000 islands blow my mind. Like so you could probably just spend your entire life, you know, meditating on each island. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool on the islands. I've never gotten to get to the Canadian side and look at those islands, but there's little tiny ones all through here. And those are a lot of fun. So mm. this is just the map of where it's at. So you get kind of an idea. This is the lake. So if you've ever seen a map of America, that's that one. It's not too far from Lake Superior over here. The mound would be down this 
way. You can see the two 11s there. I just noticed this, there's another county road 11. And then in between here, there's an obelisk in this town. <laughs> so that's interesting. Down south of here is one of the points I'm going to be talking about is the Beltrami Island State Forest. And then over here is an old Air Force base that's now a car testing facility. So that's kind of, and then they're kind of just all around here. And I always thought, because the railroad, as you can see, comes through here. And back when everything was all doom and gloom about everything, I thought, well, that would be the perfect place to like just, you know, crowd a bunch of people into this land here and then run a big train so they couldn't get out of there. But <laughs> mm, yeah, unless you had a boat, but yeah, for sure. Very orphan trains. Yeah. They still have like the original train stations over in Warroad and in Bidet as well. So that's pretty interesting. Oh, I've just seen that, so I'm sorry about that. I was trying to do that earlier. No worries, no worries. Okay. Yeah, we just be more difficult to edit that out than to edit this out. The other interesting part of this map is lost river state forest that's kind of standing out to me i don't know maybe you already mentioned something about it but is there anything of yeah, interest so with, with that this is kind of ties into this beltrami guy that the forest was named after he originally so he was looking for the source the original source of the mississippi and it's he thought it was somewhere over in here but that's not where it was so it's actually down probably about three hours from here south um, is Lake Itasca, which I would like to do. I don't know if I would do like a full video there, but I do want to go back there and cross it again because I did that a few times when I was a kid. So it was always a fun thing to do. Hmm. Right on. Yeah, I remember crossing the Mississippi and it was a very interesting feeling. You feel the energy pulsing off the river. Yeah, it's a pretty magical river, I think. Spent a lot of time on it. So, oh, and then there's this weird town called Pitt. Just that came up in one of the chats or a video the other day. So I just thought I'd point that out real quick. Right on. There's nobody so why we're up here at Lake of the Woods? Are there many stories of, you know, the paranormal going around on that lake? On the lake? Not really. Like I said, not a lot of people, like, are just very open about it. I've talked to one person that said their mom seen something come out of the lake. And this was after I had been talking to him about something that I had seen, but not on the lake. But I used to live closer to the lake. And so I was talking to him a little bit about that. He actually, I think, grew up at the angle. So they'd be a lot more at the, on the water there. I, I heard one story when I was looking it up too, because I thought that same thing. I was like, lakes mean aliens. Water table, magnetism, aliens. 
And so I was looking it up. I couldn't find a lot of stories. I was like expecting almost like, I guess, ignorantly expecting there to be a bunch of ghost stories, but there was one really interesting one from right around the town that you're talking about. And they, they had this, this guy like was so traumatized from it that after the new government release, like when, you know, they started calling them unidentified aerial, what's the, what's the word y'all? UAPs? UAP phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous name. And so then they rechecked this guy's story because they were like, well, maybe he'll talk about it now that, you know, the government's more open about it. And he, and he wouldn't because he was that scarred, but this, this, this UFO like was on the road and he was driving towards it and it just came at him and went through his car and his car like had dents in it and bent his, his radio, you know, transmission thing broke one of his mirrors and like said this energy just went through his car and there's a yeah and he was a cop yes yes man that one Mm -hmm. okay yeah there is that story that's not quite in this area but i have heard that one before yeah that one's super spooky i'd like to talk to that guy now (laughs) when you said the weird town called pit is there any reason why that town is weird nobody like there's nothing there but a church anymore like there used to be a store and it just sold knives and wild rice and that's it (laughs) it's it's kind of a weird town yeah and that's the town immediately to the west of Baudette so yeah I can understand why it kind of feels like a wild west out there you're on one side's the Canadian border the other side's an abandoned town yeah (laughs) so this slide, I just said it, it has three corners because this is the three things that I'm going to mainly focus on in the area. We got the oldest one is the Beltrami Island State Forest. And then we have a while later, the Rowell Pharmaceutical Company. And then the Bedette Air Force Station, which is no longer in commission. So we'll start off with the Beltrami Island State Forest. And that's the next slide here. It was established in 1933. It's named after Giacomo Beltrami. We'll get a little bit more into him later. It's 703-366 acres of coniferous forest, and it was part of the Beltrami Island Project, which is where... It was kind of like a BLM type of a thing where they would come. So there was people farming on it and the soil is not good for whatever crops they had. So they pretty much came in and were like, oh, hey, if you move away from here and give us your land, we'll give you this like super janky loan and you can start some crops, you know, on the other side of the train tracks, basically, because that's where all the farmland is now. So that's kind of unfortunate. Not everybody signed up for it. So there are still people that like have houses and stuff out here. Once in a while, stuff will go up for sale. And I'm like, really would like to buy one of those. <laughs> so um, it's a it's a very nice wilderness sort of hardly civilized area is what you're saying? Yeah, so there's, it's a lot of room. So you got the lake on one side and this huge forest on the other side. 
lots of room to hide things. I've heard stories about weird noises and like, you know, black witchcraft kind of stuff. I was out there one night and we came, and this is how I found out like what Hecate, the goddess Hecate is. Because there was, and I thought it was just some bear bait or something. I didn't think anything of it. But there's some meat left at this three-way cross in the road. And I, at first, I was like, whatever, bear bait or whatever. And I was, then I thought about it later. I was like, you're not going to leave your bear bait, like, in the middle of the road. Like, that's just not how that works. So I looked into it more and it turned out like that was some kind of offering to Hecate that we just like drove through. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'm glad we did that. <laughs> Hopefully I'm not cursed forever now, but yeah. To clarify this really quick, cause I just, I'm, I'm on Google earth for clarification, but it's not an island in the sense that like it's completely no. surrounded by water. Cause at first you might think like, oh, it's an island in this lake. No, it's like a big black massive forest in between a couple bodies of waters. The Red Lake Pete Scientific Natural Preserve Area. Is it a part of this? The Red Lakes are, are to the south and then the Lake of the Woods is to the north. Yeah, so I think they said that like they called it an island because it had solid ground like it's mostly swamp but it has some solid ground in between there and the lake and there's a lot of swampy area in between there and the lake as well i think if i remember that correctly yeah it says it's a peatland which is a interesting occult connection because the memphis west memphis three won't talk much about that but i heard chris milley or i'm sorry chris knowles talking about these like welsh peat bogs where they'd find you know ancient sacrifice victims who were basically mummified in these peat bogs where you know whatever the swamp has in it you know just preserves any living organism from decaying so now they have these fossilized people from like the seventh century in in wales somewhere but anyways interesting peatland yeah, yeah. i've never heard that before no really I got, quick I look into that. and also the swamp gas thing too you me. know people always see lights over swamps and that's why people said oh well it's just swamp gas but go ahead roman oh man i i i, I love swamps i love bogs i think they're super spiritual places and i think people who practice magic know that you know, there's the elementals around water. And then when you mix like the soil with, with water too, you're getting a, the, the, the elementals conjunction there, which is beautiful. But before we go, go too farther away from the National Science Preserve that you said you saw, Mark, what, can you say that name again? It's the, and it's the Red Lake Peatland Scientific and Natural Area. It's just uh, like a fancy name for like a wildlife preserve, I imagine. It's probably like a university or something that's associated with it or a scientific group. That's managed by the Red Lake tribe. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Oh, it's part of their land. Oh, very yeah. cool. Very nice. Yeah, I was just curious because, you know, we were talking about National Forest earlier and 
I, I've, I've got guns below me in a national force because they, they, you know, it was closed, quote unquote, and I wasn't supposed to be there. And, but they had three officers, three federal officers pull some semi-automatic weapons on me and a lady. And it was just like, really? Like, <laughs> we're pretty non-threatening. And so, you know, there's, there's some interesting things that go on in those areas. And, you know, once you start prodding around, it's like, okay, what, what do you, what, what's happening here? And sometimes they're associated with deep underground military bases. So I thought I would ask. Yeah, I was trying to find, there was a story out a few years ago. And I was trying to find information on that because it was saying how they allegedly tested some bombs out there at one point, but I couldn't find like anything on that. I even asked, I have some family that works at the paper because I was like, wasn't that in the paper? And they wouldn't like find anything on it. I was like, can't you just look it up in like the paper archives though, right? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it was really weird. Yeah, that's strange. And Can I help you out. Roman asked if the, the Sorry, I'm, I must have lagged hard on that. Yeah, you're lagging, brother. You're lagging. Maybe if you have, I know you're outside. Is there maybe a, another area you can stand where you're in a better connection or something? You can hail a cab and go to the other side of town or something, Starbucks or something. <laughs> Anyways, let's let's get on to the next slide. So this is just showing this is the red lake and then this would be that peatland area you're talking about this is all this green is the beltrami island area so it takes up most of the county and then it goes over into this next county here and a little bit down into these other two counties not quite as big as this one here which would be fun to look into but still, if you live by it, it seems huge. <laughs> and this is just, they have a church out there. Couldn't find too much on that either. I thought I had read somewhere that it was like the most rural church in the country or something like that. But it does have a bell tower and that does work. Okay. And then this is about Giacomo Constantino Beltrami. I'm just going to go, there was like too much to try and put into a slide here. So he was an Italian jurist, author, and explorer. He had ties to the Medici family, which was Giulia Spada di Medici, which seems like it was like a mistress of his, because it says here he was married to the sister of some railway guy in France or in Italy. He came to America through Philadelphia, and then, oh, here it is. At some point, Beltrami collected two indigenous flutes. They're the oldest flutes in museums currently from the native tribes. And then it also went on to say somewhere... I notice he it says he collected Aztec objects while he was in Mexico. That's interesting. I, I had a yeah. conversation recently where Rick Osman said that they had a trading route that went from Mexico all the way up the Mississippi. So who knows? Maybe he was thinking in these terms when he was traveling along the Mississippi and then ended up in Mexico. Yeah. 
It also like mentions John. he became a Mason. Yes, that's what I was looking for. It did say that he is a Mason or was a Mason. He pretty much was not liked by the Vatican at all. He worked for the Napoleonic government. And then while searching for the source of the Mississippi River, he also found the source of the Red River of the North, which is the river that's between the Dakotas and Minnesota. And that's where that lost river forest is off to the east of that, but it touches that, I think. And and you did say, because Tara asked, her mic was muted, that it's the Red Lakes tribe that lives over there. Is there a reason why they have, like, the name Red Lakes and Red River? What's the significance with the red? Is there, like, a lot of iron in the soil or something like that? You know, I'm not sure. I could definitely ask somebody and, like, maybe in the comments when or when this comes out or something, I could put that in there. Hmm. I know that their colors for the, I don't know if it's that clan or that tribe. I don't really want to speak too much because I have a lot of friends that are of that race, but are of that tribe, I should say, or tied to that. And their colors are black, yellow, white, and red. So I know there's some kind of significance there, but I'm not sure what the red represents. Those are um, the four colors of alchemy as well. The the red, light, black, black. That's the four signify. colors of the medicine wheel. There's a lot of tribes that yeah. use that symbol. It's funny you said that because Tara and I recently painted a couple medicine wheels. I just held up this turtle that I painted with the medicine wheel colors in honor of this show. Nice. that we're doing here but yeah very cool so yeah okay that was a little tangent as well but this giacomo beltrami guy is definitely interesting especially his connection with napoleon after becoming a mason because napoleon he was up to some interesting stuff himself he was up in egypt he was looking for secret occult knowledge apparently and he's one of the most hated men in history according to the establishment you know he was the antichrist and all this stuff and you know how you know history remembers sometimes good people in the worst ways so yeah that's a cool connection there and he was obviously you know not somebody who couldn't appreciate the finer things in life if he was collecting flutes so that's cool yeah I have a whole slide on that part. I tried to, I went into like a whole rabbit hole of the De Medici family and it's a hole, <laughs> but I could not find anything on her because apparently their family was disgraced like before his time. But I did go, I was on the maternal side and I was kind of tracking how that would relate just politically to him through that way. And I did find some interesting stuff there, which I'll kind of tap into a little bit later because I have a theory going that I need to work out, but it was too much to try and get into and do this whole thing. So, <laughs> but I did, I'm, I'm going to talk about it a little bit here. So I was going to say that that kind of reminds me this, you know, whole aspect after the conquistadorian takeover of south america you know there was so many of these artifacts from mesoamerica stolen and and used you know like the famous scrying mirror from john d 
that was one of the it's it was like in a very high temple of ancient mexico and it was stolen from a from a spanish ship by a french ship and then that the french ship the john d had connections with that one of the, one of the guys and he made a trade or whatever for the scrying mirror and so when you when you look at you know john d's connections to francis bacon and the masons and the rosicruits and their kind of obsession with incredibly stealing magical items from this amazing culture that you know is was embedded in the in the original Americas that's north and south it's just you know you see it time and time again with these people wanting to have these items that have magical or symbolic significance you know Totally. You're going to really like these next few slides, Lynn. <laughs> Let's go through them. All right. Fire so away. I just want to do a little etymology of their names just between Giacomo and Julia, because when he did find one of these lakes, he wanted to name it, or like the sources of one of these places, he wanted to name it Julia after her, even though he was married to some other chick. So his name means supplanter. Stead and then steadfast. So the steadfast supplant, or it kind of goes, you got to go kind of backwards with it to make it make sense. But bright, famous raven who was a steadfast supplanter, right? And then her name means the youthful sword of medicine or doctors, which I thought was interesting because they also have the, the pharmacy that start or the pharmaceutical company that starts here. We'll get a little bit more into that. And was that the, um, the Roswell Pharmaceuticals or something that's looked like the word Roswell? Yep, Rawell. Rawell, okay. Yeah, just like Roswell, but without the S in there. Right on. Okay, yeah, definitely some interesting names here. Yeah. So these are the flutes. This one is a whistle. So they definitely look like they have. And then this one has a bird at the end and this is a fish at the end of this one here so this would be the bottom and then i did have include a video of just a little they made a replica of it so you can kind of hear how it sounds so load is there a volume adjustment you can do on the youtube's internal volume there sounds a little low I'm not familiar with the shorts, though, I'll admit. <laughs> That's new yeah, to me. I don't use those a lot either. Maybe your desktop volume, because it's a little low. Oh, there's a volume button. Isn't that a volume button up in the top oh, right there. corner? Yeah. Or maybe that's just me. Oh, that's on just me. sound or no sound? Uh, I did turn it up on my laptop, so we'll see if, yeah, that should help. Does yeah, that help? That's better, okay. yeah. Yeah, very, very neat. Definitely yeah. kind of faint. I hope people listening can hear that. But yeah, it's it's definitely a flute. Yeah. So I don't know how to get that up more. Maybe just link it in the description or something. I can send you the link. Yeah, please do. Okay. So we'll go on to this next one here. So this connects into Mozart. That's kind of the theory I'm working out. But he has this two-part opera, and it premiered in, I think this says 1791. 
right over there. And he was also a Mason. So this would be that Giacomo Beltrami would have been 11 years old when that premiered, but they were both in the Holy Roman Empire when they were born. And then he lived to see the Napoleonic government. He would also obviously play for a lot of aristocrats and stuff like that. The characters in this particular opera kind of seem to nod to the Giacomo Beltrami story. And I'll kind of go into that a little bit more here. There's Papagano, who is, he's like a bird man. And they always have him like dressed like a raven. So I thought, you know, his last name is Raven. That's kind of like him. And he's like a guide to this prince who's supposed to find this princess Pamina. Well, the one of the main towns that they associate with Beltrami is called Pembina. And there's also a town within the Red Lake community called Ponema. So I was like, well, either one of those, that could just be a reference to that land itself. And the prince who ever, that's a, this is a whole other thing. But then the queen of the night would be Catherine de Medici, which she ruled quite a bit beforehand, but she was known as like the dark queen. And she had three sons who went on to become kings. The youngest one was Francis II, and he was married to Bloody Mary. So I kind of was tracking through her how it would get back. <laughs> it, it turned into a whole um, knot of things, but I just thought that was really interesting considering that in the play, she, the queen of the night, shows up to this prince and says, like, oh, you gotta, you gotta go find this princess. And she gives him a magic flute. And this flute can like tame the animals and all this stuff. So I thought it kind of sounded like the flutes that he had. And then there like, there's this whole other part where he had to go through like a river and all this stuff before he could get to the princess. And just, it seemed to add up, but I'm looking more into that. Just thought it was kind of interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Flutes are, flutes are definitely a, a magic, one of the magical items, you know, in history. Just getting into studying more of the Greek Kabbalah and looking into, you know, kind of the history of the alphabet through the emergences of the runes and, and all these other alphabets and whatnot. And the, the vowels sometimes were associated with, with planetary, but also like notes on a flute is a thing. And I find it to be super cool because, you know, when, you, when you're doing like spells or doing like magic and things like that, you need to have, you need to have tones, you need to have resonance and tones. And so flute does just that. And so I, I, there's definitely some magical influence there, you know, for sure. Interesting. You mentioned, did you mention Papagano could also be symbolic of Birdman? Like that is what the character is. He's just a Birdman. That's, 
Okay, that's super oh. interesting. I mean, uh, a lot of legends in your area are concerned with the Birdman and the Thunders and the Thunderbirds. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a pretty big synchronicity. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. I was having lots of fun looking into that one. <laughs> there we go. So then that brings us to my next point of interest, which is Rawal Pharmaceuticals, the company that operates where it it or where it started now is called ANI. So that that whole Minnesota side has been sold to I Pharmaceuticals. And it was started in 1935 as a Burbit liver products company. In the 40s, they started making their own multivitamins. And they have a lot of patents on, like, capsules and stuff like that. In 1949, the name changed to Rawal Pharmaceuticals from this Burbit liver products company. And then they shut down for a while and started operating again in 2008 out of Orlando, Florida. So they sold to first Solve Pharmaceuticals and then A&I Pharmaceuticals is the latest owner of the space there. So they went from Roswell to AI. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm curious about this. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it later. I just want to sidebar the Thunderbird stuff. That sounds super fascinating. Totally. I don't, I don't know. And I don't, like to speak too much on the les- the legends and stuff because I don't want to offend my friends so or get it wrong and then they have me look like an idiot or something so <laughs> yeah I if I could talk to them more about it before I talked about it then I would but yeah but whatever anybody else has to say is totally fine by me so it started with, this is the dad, and then his son started the company. This is Joseph C.N. Rowell. He's the grandson of John Samuel Rowell. He was Army First Lieutenant serving in France in World War One. so that brings it back to France connection again. And he started out fishing burbot and breeding blue fox, which I was like, blue fox, is that even a thing? Like, I thought well, are they really like kind of blue? So I had to look that up and there you'll see some more info on them later. And he moved to the area in 1920. So that would be like 10 years after the big fire and everything. And then click on here. And this tells about his grandfather who was... He had 40 patents in farm machinery and agricultural implement improvements. Said something about him being at the Chicago World's Fair with his stuff. Oh, and some of his stuff was sold to John Deere. I wonder what the John John Deere, John D connection is. I wonder if there is one. I kind of thought of that when I was looking into here. Oh, where did it say? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. If well, you can't find it, that's all right. Yeah, we can brush that's all right. it. It was in there. It was there. <laughs> okay. Not a big deal. And we'll just go on to his son, who is named Theodore H. Rowell Sr. 
and they started the company together. He graduated from the U of M School of Pharmacy, started a pharmacy in Bede in 1928. A year later, at Christmas time, the pharmacy burnt down. And then that's when they started the pharmaceutical company with the Burbit liver oil. He was a mayor of Bedette for six years. He was pretty much the main person in charge of building the International Bridge. He wrote a bunch of books on pill making and like how to make the marks and like the, the coatings on them and stuff like that. And then he was a delegate to the RNC in 1948. But the guy that he was backing backed out because he didn't agree with a lot of what like the party was about at that time. I just want to Because this guy, he just looks gangster. And then stand, stand at the edge of the forest with the coat on, just, yeah, looking all smug and mug. <laughs> there is some like legends around of like like Al Capone staying right on the edge of the lake and I've had some dreams that make me wonder <laughs> if that's true or not. I know they all had lots of different places up in the northern part of Minnesota, so it's possible. Just Rawal means spring or stream in a summer clearing, so we have some more water symbolism coming through here. All right, and then here's my fish slide that we were waiting on. So the burbot comes, the name comes from the Latin bur- barba, which means beard. It's also known as a lawyer, an eel pout, a mariah, a freshwater cod, a coney fish. There's a couple other names that they had in there that I never hear people use they they started fishing them first but then nobody really wanted to eat them because they're slimy but i mean now people call it poor man's lobster so i guess it tastes all right but it was a good source of vitamin a and d and then they would feed it to the foxes to help their coat so the the blue fox sorry about that the blue fox it makes up, oh, hold on. There we go. Only 1% of the Arctic fox population are considered blue foxes, and they're super common in Greenland and Iceland. And in the USSR, they really liked to breed them for fur and stuff. So when you like see older stuff with like Russian ladies in it, and they're all decked out in furs, it's more likely that it. Most some of it came from a blue fox at one point. Right. And, and, when, and what was the? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, when they say blue fox, they're they're talking about the color of the coat. So it's it's technically the Arctic fox species, right? But it's sort of like a, a breed of the same way we'd have different breeds of dogs. There's different breeds of foxes depending on color and whatnot but they they're farmed they have them in pens and cages and stuff i've never even heard of this before until just searching it while you were talking here yeah so a lot of people up here like my family did a lot of fur farming before it became like passe or whatever to do Uh, but so these foxes what makes them different is 
so they don't turn white in the winter. So then in the snow and stuff, they kind of look blue. The reflection of the ice and everything on their grayish, silverish fur. Oh, that's super cool. And the, there's that Greenland-Iceland connection, which is interesting because one of the things I found when I was trying to look up stuff on my dad, it kind of grouped me into the whole state of Minnesota, but there's the, the big rune stone down there. Oh, and the then, Kensington? You know, Rooms yeah going? yeah and then then like the minnesota vikings kind of vibe going on and there's a, you know this story that the vikings touched up in the north area first the part when they came to america going going through that that side of canada and everything so just the fact that there's these blue foxes and popular in greenland and iceland and kind of a little bit more of a viking connection that's cool that's cool yeah, it's kind of like where did you even get these from to breed in the first place you know <laughs> I know, I think they did say there is, like, one island where there's a bunch of them in the Bering Strait as well. I wonder if Vikings came and went down the Mississippi. That could be. You know? Huh? Could be fun. You can get to the... I think you can get to the Mississippi from, like, Superior through the St. Croix River, maybe. I could be wrong on that, though. So vitamins A and D, just a little background on that. Vitamin A is essential for you to see. And then the Rowell company had the first injectable vitamin A supplement. It contains this reticoic acid. I just wanted to go into that a little bit more because it acts through these Hox genes. And... The Hox genes are responsible for where your legs and your arms and stuff are. So when you get, you know, kids with or people born with like half an arm and stuff like that, that's where these genes would be just found pretty intriguing considering some of the other stuff that I'm going to bring up here. So, yeah, there's... That got really fascinating when I looked into that a little bit more. And then hawks is like ox or also like hawks with like eyes. So there you got that. So if you don't have enough vitamin A, you could go blind essentially. And then of course you got vitamin D for your calcium absorption. And then you could get like rickets or osteoporosis and they've been finding I think, out. Uh, I think you muted yourself there, Andrea. I, we hear her, Roman. We hear her. Oh, that's good. And then that's going. been closely linked in recent times to a lot of other things. So that kind of brings us into our next slide where we're talking about... Oh, it will go. The alchemical significance of the pharmaceutical company. So a fox is a symbol of the, well, it's a symbol for the elixir of life because it's the brink, it's the creature that brings it to you. Then you got these burbots who are bred for their oil and then they're fed to the foxes. So that's like a kind of a 
transmutation through the eating of it and digestion and everything. And then they're pretty much just sacrificing that symbol for their own personal gain, which would explain why they could end up making so much money. Like I'm sure they're probably not even consciously aware. Maybe they are of that. Didn't say anything about them being Masons or anything, but I mean, you don't have to be a Mason to be an alchemist. Another thing that I found was the color blue is associated with the moon. So you got like a moon fox, basically. And then burbits are also bottom feeders. So that would be, they'd be at the darkest parts of the lake. And then you got the So now this family, they found these foxes in the state or they just had, you know, this sort of thing going on in one place and then they had the fish operation in Baudette and how, how does this connect to Baudette is the blue flock. So, Go ahead. So they started the operation. So they started fishing the burbot out of the lake. And then they also had started breeding the Fox. I don't, it didn't say where they got them from. I did say that before the war, the one guy lived in Washington and he, so he may have known people in like Alaska or something, who knows, hmm. or met people in the army who had these foxes. So he then, purchased the foxes and brought them here. Yeah, okay. that's what I'm thinking. It well, doesn't. It is interesting. Like the, I told you before I Googled it and it seems like it's a little difficult to find any information about this. You said it's sort of gone out of fashion, but I don't know, maybe it's illegal or something, but yeah, there's not a lot of like mainstream websites talking about the fox breeding industry. Yeah, there's just not a lot of use for it. I think there's still some like in Russia probably or like for personal use in indigenous tribes. Obviously, they probably trap a little bit more. My grandpa he still traps for just pests or whatever. So he will keep the pelts on those, but they used to farm other things and they never had foxes for farming, but they had a couple wild ones that they took in at one time. But as somebody who has tan, I've tanned many hides of hide tanning and just in general, it's like not necessarily, <laughs> I mean, just nobody really cares anymore. It's super niche market if you're trying to sell hides, you know? And, and it's like one of those lost kind of arts. And, and and now we're in a moral state of age where people are, they have moral issues with hide tanning. So I, I think those could also be reasons as to why it's just, it's not generally populated anymore. It sucks because, you know, there's, there's a deep spiritual resonance with it that our indigenous brothers, you know, they, they've been, uh, had this symbolic meaning to this, to the, to the animal life, you know, and it's not a cruel thing that happens. It's actually a beautiful exchange because it's an extension and an appreciation of that, that life, you know? Totally. I think a lot of people that have that opinion on, things don't realize the other cultures that use so much of the animal itself. Like, like don't just, just eat the meat. Like 
can be there's other parts of the animal that can be used and stuff too so but it's definitely been something pushed out of the mainstream it feels like all right so we have some alchemical significance to the fox as well it's an important symbol i'm sure in many different cultures throughout the native american overall culture and then i've also heard some stories from asia about these like fox trickster characters who come along and take over the body of a person almost like a body snatcher there's a story of an emperor in japan who is basically tricked out of his position as emperor or some you know king or whatever because of a fox mistress who's like this you know literally a fox shapeshifter and she turns into a woman and tricks him and oh you have something like this what is this this is tsune it's just a coaster but cool and this is the same i don't remember her japanese name but is that the same myth i'm describing yeah oh cool (laughs) Wow. And it's blue. <laughs> right on. Synchronicity. We got to hit oh. that bell. Oh. Mark bringing that up makes me wonder, you know, it's a little off subject, but there, are there any dogman sightings or legends or Yeah, what's Bigfoot? the cryptid situation I know there's a wide like? open space out there. Yeah, um, great question, so, Chad. Totally. The main there's like some Bigfoot stuff obviously because there's wood so pretty much anywhere there's that much woods you're gonna get some bigfoot stuff our like main one that's special to or seems special to this area is the wendigo and that is this big i've heard a few people that have seen it and i thought that maybe i seen it once but it wasn't like in person it was in a dream it's like this big like almost like a dog-headed like with ant to me it had antlers but i think it's it's one of those things that turns up different for different people and it's just like a giant ghost type heard, thing i've heard it described as like the northern version of the skinwalker right down in the more desert areas they call them skinwalkers but out in like canada and the north they see them up in where it's snowy for most of the year too when it goes yeah. yeah. Wow. That's very fascinating. I'm sh- did you did you have this dream during the winter? Or do people see this during the winter time? I think it's just all times of year because the the lo- the legend around here anyway is that you'll see it before someone dies. Wow. Somebody that you care about dies. So a lot of people have seen said that they've when they see it in person, it's like alongside a road when they're driving at night or something like that. <laughs> Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, it makes me think of this Native American legend from around here of, uh, you know, this guide was showing some colonists through the the wilderness and he sent a scout ahead to tell the tribe like, you know, the village that this kid was coming and when he came back they were all crying and they're like, "Why are you crying?" and they're like, "We well, sent scouts ahead to tell them that uh, that he had died in battle and this is like so they're part of their sense of humor like they tricked the tribe into thinking their loved one died in battle meanwhile he's on his way home so there's this sort of like interesting mix with mortality and and death and reincarnation in the north american area specifically i'm sure that's 
not oh, unique yeah. to here, but it's it's pronounced. Yeah, the native cultures here are pretty well preserved as far as other places go, like like the Rochester area. When I was down there, <laughs> I was like, where are all your natives? <laughs> like, <laughs> I always grew up with, like, there's natives everywhere. So I was just like, where are they? Like, I didn't meet very many when I was down there. Hmm. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's very much the opposite where I am. But I'd love to go out and, and visit a place like Baudette. So where are we heading next with the presentation? The next slide here, we got the Air Force Station. So we'll get into that. We got the, the 6-9 here, the 692nd Radar Squadron. And it's a station, not a base. So it's a little bit different. I think that's more due to the fact that it's radar. Um, if you break down 692, it's it breaks down to 8 which if you kind of have been following numbers through this presentation, they kind of pop up here and there. The emblems for this particular station is, this is the 692nd squadron thing, and it's got this medicine wheel looking thing with an arrow, or it could be a tree. we got the three points going towards the left we have this hourglass, or it also kind of looks like a lantern, which makes me think of the hermit card. And it's got these like lines around it, kind of like an atom. What stands out to me is this X bar symbol. It's the only part that's black on it. So I thought that was really interesting. So I looked into what that could mean. In mathematics, it means... It's just the mean of numbers. In medical terms, it means exception. So I thought, you know, this is an hourglass, kind of like a time exception. And as we go through this more, you'll kind of see why that is. We got the eagle with the red lightning bolt over here. Thunderbird. More red. Yeah. And that's for the the General Air Defense Command emblem. So it was approved on October 23rd, 1952, and then it went into operation October 1st, 1958. On December 15th, 1959, they redesignated it as a semi-automatic ground environment. And it was redesignated as NORAD ID Z132 at some point in there. So for people was, who don't know, a semi-automatic ground environment or AKA SAGE is no. a system of large computers associated networking equipment that coordinate data for many radar sites and produce, oh, you had this. Oh, I'm sorry no. to jump ahead. <laughs> right no, you're on. good. That's I just awesome. thought instead of you reading it or if you wanted to read yeah, it. Yeah, well, no, I I just was so fascinated by that term. I'm like, what, what are they testing, like semi-automatic weapons or something? But no, okay, this makes sense. Yeah. Huh. So go ahead, proceed. Don't let no. me step on your toes here. No, you're good. <laughs> and then it, they shut it down on the 1st of July in 1979. 
But and I don't think that everything was out of there until like '84, because it said that it like the the squadron or whatever was still together. But I don't know, until 1984. So yeah, this is the whole description that he was you were just reading. And then at the end, it's enormous computers and huge displays remain a part of Cold War lore. And after decommissioning, they were common props in movies such as Dr. Strangelove and Colossus and on science fiction TV series such as The Time Tunnel, which I'm going to go into these two because I did actually watch this one and I tried to watch that, but it was way too cheesy. And then... Here it ties into the Hierophant card. Just quickly, really quick, if you don't mind, just because I, I am a big fan of really cheesy sci-fi, and I'm curious, how cheesy are we talking? <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> like, like you know, killer or the the killer green tomato bad or like. Is it from the 80s? What is this movie made? It's from the 60s. So. Oh, okay. All right. It's it's cool. I just couldn't get into it at the time. <laughs> so this is, I was just going to show how it ties into the Hierophant card for kind of what they're doing here. Because the herb that represents the Hierophant card is sage. So Hierophant is kind of about... Oh, yeah. The energy of the Hierophant combines wisdom with beauty to provide traditional pathway to religion by way of churches, groups, and other similar institutions. So if you think of that kind of energy being used by the U.S. military in a radar sense, I mean, come to you can come to your own conclusions on that. It just seems a little bit fishy to me. And obviously sage is used... It's kind of one of those inversion things like sage is used in rituals to clean out the space or this is like the other way around hmm. kind of polluting, polluting the airwaves with their stuff. Well, and yeah, that is part of like Ross Ben's theories about like mound gridding, right? And how they go in and they defuse these sacred energies by co-opting them. So yeah, they take this sacred plant energy and re, you know, reassign a value to that word in that space where for thousands of years it was a plant now it's a, a semi-automatic ground environment whatever the hell that's supposed to mean and that that's kind of what i was talking about earlier too when you when you start to look at like like a bunch of technological terms you know there's an entire like dictionary this whole world of terms that have you know this almost kind of Hierophantic, you know, up is down hermetic, you know, like maybe mirrored. Well, and it, and it speaks flipped. to the weirdness of the English language, you know, because you could just yep. even the most monotonous seeming terms have a sorcery behind them. But we have a sorcery at play in this image here for people just listening. We're looking at an image of two very, very old school computers, almost looking like televisions. One of them has the term Colossus above it and the other one Guardian. So what are, what are we looking at here? So this is like they were talking about how their old stations were used as props in these movies and things. And this is from the movie Colossus that they were mentioning. Basically, in the movie, 
they built this supercomputer, kind of like Winston or whatever in IBM, which all these computers that they used were provided by IBM, which also started in Rochester. So that's the whole thing. And then, so finally... That's pretty cool. It, yeah. And then they... There was other things with their radar and stuff. Like they use the AT&T, obviously. And they also use General Electric, which their thing is GE. And that's also started in Minnesota. Wow. Okay. So, there, so I wonder if that has anything to do with water and, and needing water to, you know, to do electronics and, and have high power to computers. Oh, yeah. Or like how they used to run everything on mills. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Minnesota's got so much cooler. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff here. It's like there's stuff, but you don't know about it. <laughs> so we got Colossus here. That's the main character in this movie. And it becomes so smart that it detects. Sorry, I thought I heard somebody break into my house, but it was just my cat. <laughs> um, so he detects another or she, whatever you want to call a computer, I don't know, it detects another system. And then the Soviets have this other system called the Guardian. What stood out to me about both of these when they're talking back and forth is Colossus has this pyramid, this black pyramid with a C, and you can't see it in this image, but on the same side of this Guardian, there's a pentagram that is red with a G on it. And never say anything about what that's about. So... Well, and it's interesting, you know, the Colossus, I guess, is supposed to be an advanced supercomputer that becomes sentient, almost like what we're seeing now with AI. But the movie is subtitled The Forbin Project, which I don't know if you looked into that. Maybe I'm jumping ahead of your next slide, but The Forbin Project sounds interesting. I don't know uh, if there's any etymology there that makes any meaning out of seemingly ubiquitous stuff, you know. I didn't really think to look into that, but Forbin is the guy who designs it. Okay. And then Colossus becomes like his super controlling girlfriend, kind of. (laughs) So that's a weird part. That's a weird side story. He becomes in love with the machine sort of thing? Yeah, so it's almost like every, like, weird technology taking over movie comes back to this movie. Uh. So this is like the origin of the sex robot in a way too. Yeah. Huh. Okay. I was gonna say, they 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 you brought up brothels earlier, and they it's official that the first brothel, computerized sex robot brothel, has been opened. Oh geez. <laughs> huh. So it's all yeah, that's that's a thing. It's all coming to fruition. <laughs> We're seeing a bunch of connections here. Wow. <laughs> Makes me think of that episode of Futurama where Fry gets Lucy Lou and she's just like, I love you, Philip J. Fry. All right. That's a good episode. Yeah, they kind of call this the original Skynet, like from Terminator. And this so, is the one from the 60s that you were talking about, that, that movie, right? That movie is from okay. the 60s. And then the TV show that I'm going to talk about in the next couple slides after this one is also from the 60s. So I have this bottle right behind me. I don't know if you can see it anymore. That brown bottle has part of this poem on it. It's called The New Colossus. 
and it's by Emma Lazarus. So not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land here at our sea wash sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles from her beacon and wide welcome her mild eyes command the air bridge harbor that twin cities frame Keep ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. So if you read through that, it kind of feels like maybe talking about a computer system and like how they're going to use it on the masses. And I just find it weird that her name is Emma Lazarus. Yeah. Well, I I looked into that Forbin name real quick and it means pioneer in French. So that's even kind of connected there too. This is a sort of pioneering movie about AI, right? Before we even had a term for AI possibly. Right. And there's, there's a place called pioneer park that's like an hour to the west of here it's got a bunch of old timey stuff right on so and to to just go back and reiterate the connection and why we came to this science fiction movie stuff is because a defunct air force base that was located in or near baudet the equipment from there was used as props in several different science fiction movies Yes, and I think, you know, they're kind of just, after they were done using them, they're kind and upgraded. They're kind of like letting loose the secrets of what's really going on. One of the things I was kind of thinking is kind of that Project Blue Beam stuff where they use the sound waves and the radar to affect, you know, people's moods and stuff like that. So... Definitely something fishy going on, especially since it's such a small town. And I was kind of saying how after Project Manhattan, because they said the, the SAGE system cost more than Project Manhattan, but they had all those secret towns with Project Manhattan. I think they learned from that 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 didn't really work out well for the people living in those towns. And so then they just found towns that were small and kind of kept to themselves anyway to do these kind of projects in. That's just a, that's just a theory. So don't come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, no. And these are all just theories. Ooh, the time tunnel. I was hoping you would go to that show. This is yes. an interesting, interesting show. I sent Roman a link in the chat to it because It kind of gives me like a Twilight Zone vibe. Maybe it was, you know, created after the Twilight Zone, but it starts off with the project TikTok, which we all know that for a different reason nowadays. But the show in 1960, the premise is that Project TikTok is a top secret U.S. government effort to build an experimental time machine known as the Time Tunnel. 
its appearance as a cylindrical hallway, which we see that at the beginning of every 007 movie, John D. 007. The base for Project TikTok is a huge hidden underground complex in Arizona, which I'm sure will go there soon. We'll know, undoubtedly have a listener who lives in Arizona. People in Arizona love this kind of stuff. But yeah, this is a strange TV show. Yeah, it's super weird. I kind of went through the episodes and I was trying to get a feel when I when I was researching and everything. And when I tried to watch it, I just could not get into it. It was so bad acting and everything. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think this was one of the many shows that followed in the wake of like Twilight Zone and The Outer Limits, right? Those are the two most well-known shows from that era that kind of had this feeling to it but you know this is them experimenting with the more fun side of mk mockingbird right project mockingbird where they're infiltrating the the entertainment and the red and everything Mm. there's a lot of the colors for mk going on here but yeah when i was going through all the episodes it seemed like a lot of the times that they were traveling to the 1800s, which was super fishy as well. Hmm. Maybe back then it was a lot easier to mimic the 1800s as opposed to any other era with their, you know, props and whatnot. And I'm sure some towns they could film in kind of looked like the 1800s back then. Yeah. But, but yeah, huh. Well, that's kind of like Badette, too, is like you. there's no Walmart or anything. You have to go like two hours to get to a Walmart or like we've just got our first McDonald's like 10 years ago. <laughs> so like everything is like 10 years behind. It's it's kind of like you get up here. It's like stepping back in time a little bit. It's a lot of people didn't have Wi-Fi until like five years ago. Like everybody just had DSL. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to survive. I'm a creature comfort. I have all these civilized comforts. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Well, we're good now. I'm still not on the fiber optic, but they'll bring, they'll bring that to me sometime. The only one in town that doesn't have it. (laughs) We got, oh, this, I just wanted to show this is the logo for Project TikTok. And it is a yellow, like hourglass, kind of like the 692nd squadron has an hourglass lantern type thing. And then there's also yellow in that. Uh, I wonder if what what there if there's a connection between the old Oz stories from L. Bomb Frank L. Bomb because his his robot character in Wizard of Oz is called TikTok. Oh, and you know he's obviously you know ties to the Theosophic Society yeah. and has some wow. old stuff. And you got the yellow brick road, but it's white, white and black. I don't know. But I mean, he's obviously influential. So I'm wondering if there's, and in that time period too, Madame Blavatsky in the 1800s, uh, I'd be interested to look well, more into this. Show. And I would, I would argue that maybe TikTok is a reference to obviously like TikTok, TikTok of a clock, and and maybe just a neat, clever way of referencing Saturn, right? The god of of time. Mm-hmm. Lots of fishy stuff. <laughs> So, yeah, that was pretty much the last thing. I love it. 
this is yeah a nice dive into Baudette, minnesota and we asked you the the cryptid question but uh, yeah as far <laughs> as as far as like some other things that are on our hot list we got you know the mounds that we brought up i definitely want to ask you maybe if there's like some kind of swamp ape in those peat bogs or something like that talking about cryptids you said there's a <laughs> wendigo but Chad, swamp Roman, ape in the bogs. What, what what about you guys i've talked a lot what are your some of your questions that you have about Baudet? we've seen a lot and thank you andrea for putting all this together oh no problem it was lots of fun and that's what i like to do so yeah thank you andrea yeah. What do you guys think? Any questions, Chad, Roman, any thoughts that you've had over the course yeah, is there of this? Any, any significance to Wally the Walleye? Oh, Willie the Walleye? That's just like... I'm a, sorry, Willie the Walleye. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that big statue. So if you probably look at the... Any look up Badet, you're going to see this big Willie Walleye statue and uh, nothing really to that it's just a tourist attraction <laughs> trying to get yeah. people i'm in. just curious because i live in a i live in a town i live in the trout capital of the world so okay. i have an identical sculpture but it's a giant rainbow trout so i was just oh. curious yeah maybe there's a samanaguchi type character who goes around and makes all these strange fish statues chad I, this could definitely be a rabbit hole to dive down in a future episode map out all these f fish capitals of the world <laughs> it's a lot <laughs> yeah, we have the bass capital just north of me really oh, nice. Wow, this is, yeah, this is absolutely fascinating. So we did kind of touch on Muskrat Mound a bit. And then I don't, I can't remember if we said we'd come back to it or not. And then there was another thing that I know Roman said he wanted to come back and revisit with the, with the Medici's when we got onto this Explorer character. So was there anything more we can go down in, in that realm? Oh, I think that was with the Thunderbirds. So oh, yeah, the Thunderbird. That was the yes, yes. You guys know about it, but I don't feel like I have right, the right. No, we do. Uh -huh. We did get yeah. that response. Yeah, and I respect that. I mean, I definitely, you know, feel a little bit like an outsider. So it's interesting to hear your perspective with that. Like, you know, hey, that's not really my thing to speak on so i mean by all means if they'd like to speak for themselves and and they could get on a zoom call with us you know hey maybe put us in touch with one of your friends who who would feel like they could represent that information because i know chad roman and i are and tara of course are, are very curious about all that stuff but roman what were your thoughts on the thunderbird before we leave that subject well i mean so you know, you guys brought up the, the colors and the medicine wheel earlier and just going, you know, connecting the some of the lineage to the northern and southern American indigenous peoples, more so speaking on the Mesoamerica, very into their spiritual alchemy. They had they wouldn't what we would consider, you know, 100 percent like french or azure or azoth alchemy you know like in the in the western world but they had they had alchemical processes going on right just to put like that slap that term on it and you see the colors in ancient egypt as well like originally you know on the pyramid red white and black 
and then yellow and gold being, you know, the, the, the permeating color there that they didn't need to recreate. And so that's just fascinating to me. And so when I think of alchemy, you know, there's the Phoenix or the peacock or, you know, a Thunderbird could be like a flaming bird. You know, I, I don't know. I was just, I was looking for some connection there. And I find it interesting that there's, you know, the IBM and GE, these companies, I know it's more South in the Rochester area, but in Minnesota in general. And yeah, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of stuff. And that's a great thing about the show that we're doing is we're going to hopefully get some more people on from Minnesota to get some other areas. And we're going to cover these, these things, you know, like we, we just cracked, cracked open the egg, you know, and just, we can never cover everything in two hours ever three hours. No, it's going to be multiple episodes spread throughout, sprinkled throughout many strands of understanding the the proverbial plate of the spaghetti, just noodling our way through all of, all of these things. And I, I really appreciate where you went with it, Andrea, because, you know, like I said, I, I love cheesy sci-fi. And so yeah. finna do that, bro. Finna, finna slip, slippity slide down the time tunnel. Uh, and Colossus and Colossus Roman. Yeah. How could you forget Colossus? That's the one that she said was too terrible to bear. Uh, and no. that's just a movie. <laughs> the other way around. Oh, Colossus yeah. is good and time tunnel is terrible. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm going to check them both out. I'm going to probably partake on some tea, soak my feet. Get a little, uh, get li- let the birds inside the house. So I'm going to try to hound up some pigeons and some robins and some woodpeckers, bring them inside, inside my home and start a little <laughs> forest community in my living room and then watch these shows here. Nice. Totally. Sorry. Anyways, I had a great time. Thank, thank you yet again. You're welcome. Right on. Right on. Well, that's bought at folks. This has been Esoteric America. Tara, any final thoughts before we wrap up? And and Chad, I, I want to hear your final thoughts too, if you have anything you want to close on. But uh, Tara, what are you thinking about? Is, is there? I don't. I don't really know how went from the walleye to the time tunnel. Is maybe the eye of the time tunnel or something? Ooh, the eye of the storm, yes. like the hurricane, the hurricane vortex portal. You're onto something. I hear yeah. you. No, I think we got there because Homie Romy just I loves like sci-fi. But yeah, great point, Tara. Thank you for. And I did look up the uh, walleye guy who made the walleye statue, and it was some Civics and Commerce Association dude. So nobody with their own Wikipedia page. Maybe it would yeah. take someone like a deep sleuth to dig it the, up. But was it Mike Hubdy? It says it originated with Arnold Lund. That was the guy who had the idea. Oh, the first one. Yeah, 1958 (laughs) was when they built the first one. And then it got damaged with weather, so they replaced it with a fiberglass statue. So, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty... It was pretty ratty a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine 1958, if they made it out of wood, it was probably looking like a dead fish that had been out that long by then. But uh, all right, yeah. right on. Let's uh, let's close up the screen share here. All right. And, uh, and yeah, thanks again for, for helping us understand 
a part of the United States that I would imagine few travel to. I mean, the Lake of the Woods is probably a really beautiful place. I don't know what the tourist industry over there is like, but uh, hey, we're going to pin it on the map. And, and one day, who knows, maybe you'll have some strange podcast fans showing up in your town saying, show me <laughs> the weird stuff. Where's the walleye? people that aren't fishermen for once around here <laughs> right on right not on. that there's anything wrong with fishing but there's other stuff here to do <laughs> well it's on the map now and uh, yeah for everyone listening thank you for uh, tuning in chad roman anything you guys want to say before we stop recording i just want to thank you andrea i really enjoyed your presentation you did awesome and I found it interesting. You live in a small town and me researching a big town, some of the similarities I came up with. And see, I look at Detroit, if you don't know, and just yeah. like your town, it's an international border on a river. Just like your town, there's ancient mounds on both sides of the river. Cause I seen there's mounds going from international falls all the way up to what lake of the woods yeah and just like in your area you had the grand mound we had the great mound so i just find it super fascinating that we can take this little town compared to this big town and come up with real similar symbolism situations and just want to thank you for sharing that oh no problem i find that really cool as well and yeah it seems to rhyme that's really cool well, I'm sure we'll we'll find a lot of similarities like that. Until next time, folks, thank you for tuning in.